All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Can you see it? Did you notice? Checked, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. It arms Canucks fans, welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation presented by the great folks at Parallel 49 Brewing. My name is Chris Faber and thank you for joining us this week for episode 63. Joining me now, the co-host for this episode as he's not taking his hosting duties, David Quadrilli. Quads, what did you think about hosting last week? It was the first time someone else has hosted the Canucks Conversation. Yeah, man, I have to say it was a lot of fun. Uh, I think you have a little more pop than I do on that intro and even the closing. You were... Yeah, you're pretty fire on that, man. So I got to give the hosting duties back to you this week, but I might come back with a vengeance next week. You absolutely will. And I, I would be curious to go back and listen to episode one and see what my intro sounded like, because I'm sure yours was a lot better. 
Uh, but before we dive into too much stuff, uh, as I mentioned, this show is presented by the great folks at Parallel 49 Brewing. They are the presenting sponsor of the show. I met with them today, and uh, we have some exciting news. They're going to be renewing their sponsorship for three or six months moving forward. But the other exciting thing was they talked about so- doing something like a live show. So what do you think about a live show at Parallel? A live show would be awesome, and it'd be cool to see how many people would actually come out. I know like we have some people that listen to the podcast that are under 19, so that'll be uh, too bad that they won't be able to be there. But I actually think that uh, so they have two different locations. I think that the one that they were talking about is sort of a restaurant oh. so we actually might be able to get people under the age of 19 in which i know a lot of listeners are uh maybe not a lot but there's a few that you know who i'm thinking of it's judd brackett judd yeah. brackett is underrated one that kid's gonna be front row screaming in our show he might have to <laughs> join us on the panel absolutely uh before we dive into too much canuck stuff we got to give a quick shout out because uh we recently got involved with a different um i guess platform to put out our podcast because we had a whole struggle last week with apple Podcasts and soundcloud so we're not going to be using that anymore and uh, because of that we can actually see where we're charting in uh, other countries and quads we hit number six in uh, in France. Yeah, so a quick cool. little bonjour to yeah. all of our fans in France. Uh, pretty cool. It's number six. On- also, the the really cool thing was we're the only we're the top English podcast uh, in the sports in sports bracket, I guess whatever it is. There you go. Yeah, so we're bonjour. The top, uh, top English one. That was cool. So if you're listening in France, thank you very much. Obviously, a couple of you are, and uh, number twelve in Australia. So it was cool to see the charts. I didn't know that. Uh, you know, a lot of these countries even listen to podcasts, especially about the Vancouver Canucks, but there are Canucks fans around the world. Yeah, exactly. Like, bonjour and good day. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, let's just dive right into the show from that. That's a tough transition, but we'll get right into it. Quads, uh, a lot of stuff to talk about this week, obviously, and it's funny because it's it's been a week off. So with the All-Star Game, did you get a chance to watch any of the skills today at all? I did. I was at home, as you know, came home from work right before coming to the studio, and I was watching the skills competition, and Quinn Hughes and the fastest skater uh, – you know, he's a good skater, but he's not a fast skater. Right. <laughs> he's definitely not going to blow anyone away with his speed around uh, doing laps. So uh, I think he was the only defender in that competition. Right. Uh, so he didn't he didn't fare too well. But then, yeah, I actually didn't get to see Elias Pettersson in the hardest shot. So I'm not sure. Yeah, we started recording here. We also had the uh, AHL game on before that with the comments getting smashed. And speaking of, we'll talk to comments Corey a little bit later on in this episode. But uh, I feel like a lot of people talk about the All-Star game and they mention like, oh, like, I think I think you were just on a podcast with uh, Justin Morrison, and he mentioned when you stop trick or treating, you stop caring about the All Star Game. But the Canucks are sending three players to the All Star Game. They're you know they're taking part in some good events. They're going to get a chance to play some three on three as well. I'm sure we're going to see a lot of Hughes and Pedersen on the ice together. You know, for a couple of reasons. First, there's only two defensemen on that Pacific team, and uh, for the other reason is they've already played together, so it's going to be a lot of fun to watch them in the All Star Game. I guess my question to you is like. Does it take, you know, that they're having three players go from the Vancouver Canucks. Does that draw you in more to the All-Star game, or are you just completely tuned out? Yeah, for sure. I'll definitely be watching any Pacific Division games. I don't want to say I care too, too much about the (laughs) All-Star game or the outcome of it, but I will be definitely interested to see, you know, there's three Canucks there, and then Al Murdoch, too. Uh, Great for him to be there. going to be in studio with us soon, he mentioned. Yeah, exactly. We're going to, yeah, we're going to get to chat with him, which is going to be a lot of fun. But, yeah, he's so great on the mic, like, on the PA system there, like, he really hyped up those Blues fans tonight when he <laughs> introed uh, Jordan Binnington. Uh, he, you know, we're all we're used to the your Vancouver Canucks. It was a nice, very nice, even if it was for the St. Louis Blues. Uh, your St. Louis Blues, Jordan Binnington, and it was crazy. Like it, the building erupted, and yeah, I, I really like uh, Murdoch being there. And I know we're not going to talk too much about the PA announcer on this episode, but I really 
am going to be watching that game for sure. Right. And I think that, you know, something about uh, Al Murdoch, which is cool, is maybe we can get him to do our intro as well. Like, you know, maybe here's the Ken Oh, there you go. We'll see what we can get out of him next week. We don't want to ask too much. Um, but at the same time, I, I got to ask you because the Twitter the Twitter world was going a little bit crazy uh, when they saw Jacob Markstrom's suit. Did you uh, get a chance to see Jacob Markstrom's suit? No, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, so Jacob Markstrom's suit was something that was just absolutely ridiculous. It was like three colors on, I guess, the inside part of his suit. It was like one of the better suits I've seen in a long time. And the fact that Jacob Markstrom pulled it out, like you see a lot of these flashy stars and they, they're wearing, I don't know what's, I'm not a big suits guy as well, but when you see Jacob Markstrom's and that flair that he put on it, like I absolutely love it. What do you think? I know that you just got a chance. We just pulled it up now. So this is your first time seeing it. What are your initial thoughts? The hell is that? Is he wearing like Adidas sweatpants? What's, what's, what's with the pants? I got to see another shot of this. So this is Oh, what it, looks it looks much like. better. Yeah. Good for him. That's a great look. How much flair is that from Jacob Marks? If you guys that. haven't seen it, I think the Canucks tweeted it out. It's, uh, it's, it's gorgeous. I mean, like that is. Holy shit. I think that's the definition of like having swag in hockey because maybe swag is something that you talk about a little bit differently in different sports. But man, that is absolute swag from Jacob Marks. Well, I don't even like is, saying like, that word. You know, the MLB doesn't do a good job of it, like marketing their players. Like the MLB is probably the worst at it. But the NBA, you see like how much is put into like, oh, what are the players wearing when they walk in, right? And you know, if, if the Canucks and like anybody else in the NHL were wearing what Jacob Marks was wearing here, there'd be a lot more. Right. Uh, thought put into okay what are these guys really gonna wear today and yeah. that's a great suit i love that i think that uh i think we've probably spent enough time on the all-star game yeah oh yeah okay cool we probably spent too much time uh but uh i do want to talk about some other things i just wrote an article about adam Gaudet changing the third line he's making it fun again uh, on the third line so before i talk about some of the stuff that i wrote about i just want to kind of get your opinion on what it means to have Adam Gaudet kind of step in pretty much since the very early part of this season and kind of change that third line because it's a lot different than what we've seen in the past. Yeah, it's totally changed the mantra of the third line, I guess you could say. It's like, it's really, it really is that top nine that the Canucks were really looking for at the start of this year. You know, I wrote a piece on Brandon Sutter, like a little snapshots article. Um, on Brandon Sutter and how much better he's already gonna he's already made and how much better he's going to make the fourth line than Tim Schaller. Like basically what I said is that Brandon Sutter has played in not a defensive role for most of this year, right? He's been the third line center for most of the time he's been healthy. Um he won't be going back in that role because it's Adam Gaudet's to lose now. There's no way he's just gonna get healthy and they're gonna put him back in it. That's not what we're gonna see. So he's gonna replace Schaller and you look at his numbers, his defensive analytics compared to Schaller, who's in a defensive role, and Sutter's played better defense than Schaller has, and he's also more of a scoring threat. He's faster. Sutter's a big upgrade on Tim Schaller. I know he costs about $3 million more than Schaller does, but um, I'm really excited to see what Brandon Sutter can bring to the fourth line. I know that you didn't ask me about Brandon Sutter, but... That's podcasting, man. You go off on whatever. Like, I wouldn't even mind mentioning Sutter. Like, he's the guy that, when I looked at this roster at the start of the year, and I looked at how the lineup was going to shake out, I predicted that Travis Green was going to use him in the third line center role, as he did at the start of the year. But what I wanted to see was what we're seeing right now. And we're seeing, I guess, you know, this is kind of going off of what the Gaudet thing says, but at the same time, it's kind of the same because Adam Gaudet's come in now and been that third line scorer, and that's made the roster just look a lot different from the past. And if you have the roster right now that you have, like even with Josh Levo out and Furlan, you know, expecting to make his return pretty soon, how much do you think you change this roster? Because they're playing pretty damn good lately since this has kind of been assembled. That's the trouble is what do you change? Because the Canucks are rolling right now and they're ro- they went rolling right into the all-star break. They're playing good hockey right now. Like 
The team is happy with what they're doing. They're getting results. They're playing the right way. And that's the thing with Adam Gaudet is the thing you need to pay attention to is his two-way game. That was always the knock on him. That's, you know, you're not going to play for Travis Green if you can't play defensive, play responsibly. Well, you, you can ask Goldie I mean. that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jeez, our boy. Um, but Gaudet, his two-way game has come so far, even since the start of the year. And he is defensive respons- responsible defensively. <laughs> and he's... Hard on the forecheck, which is something I think, personally, I noticed it the most when Antoine Roussel got put on that line. Because Roussel's a relentless forechecker, we know that. But I feel like once Roussel was put on that line with Gaudet, you kind of look to your left and you see, okay, this guy's going that hard, I gotta match that. And I think we've seen that from Gaudet. And you know, there's not many numbers that you can use to measure how good someone is on the forecheck, but... Gaudet has been good on the forecheck. I've noticed it in his game. I think that's the thing that when we talk about what the third line is looking like right now, like they have three guys that can skate, obviously, and you know Brock Besser's getting some time there, but I don't think we're going to see that for a long time. I think we'll see Besser go back up to that first line. But when that line is Antoine Roussel, Adam Gaudet, and Jake Vertanen, the thing that I like about that line so much is those three guys have kind of like the best burst of speed on this team, right? Especially out of the forward group, like you mentioned. And that's something that you that you just brought up is a great point. Like you can't really measure forechecking but the fact that those three have those quick bursts of speed and they can use it on the forecheck you see it from adam Gaudet. like you mentioned he's improved a lot if you actually just kind of like watch adam Gaudet and just kind of like focusing on him throughout a game you're going to see him just battling in the corners that's something that we probably saw last year because he was a young guy trying to make his make his mark on this team but now he's succeeding at it right he's getting the puck out of these situations and when you have an antoine roussel and a jake for like that's a line that's going to just wreak havoc on defenders, right? It's the kind of line that you want to see in the playoffs. And I know we're going to get to playoffs a little bit later, but uh, I wanted to ask another thing about Adam Gaudet because the second unit, before Adam Gaudet got on the second unit, they didn't score one goal. And we've been talking about the second unit scoring a lot of goals. They have 14 goals so far this year. All 14 of them have come from Adam Gaudet being on the ice. Wow. That is something right there. And, that's the thing is he's playing with so much more confidence than we've ever seen him playing with. And I, you know what? I don't want to try and predict what a player's thinking, but I feel like when you know that, okay, I'm in this spot now, but as soon as somebody gets healthy, my job's gone, no matter what I do. Like, that was what it was for Goddett. Like, no matter how well he played or how hard he tried, the fact of the matter was, as soon as Brandon Sutter or, you know, whoever he was replacing, Jay Beagle, Bo Horvat, whoever it was, he was getting bumped out of the lineup, no matter what. But now that's not the case. Now we're seeing Gaudet playing with that confidence. And I feel like he just, like, now he knows it's his role and he's owning it. And he's going to keep improving in that role. And I really like to see him, again, on that second power play unit, even. Like, whenever he's on the ice, it's usually good things are happening. Right. And if you look at, you know, a typical game, and I'm just kind of running these numbers off the top of my head from what I've done in research, you normally get about 46 minutes of five on five time. Okay, so we're seeing Adam Gaudet play about nine minutes of five-on-five five time. We're seeing the fourth line play around similar to that. And then there's a lot of minutes going off to the top six. But is that a good spot for them to be in? Because they obviously have had some success, but they're not playing a ton of minutes. They might be the line that's used the least. The fourth line does get a lot of opportunity, especially when they're playing against a team with two scoring lines, right? You're going to see the Horvat line match up against the best one. And now with Brandon Sutter 
like Travis Green likes to play Brandon Sutter. We know this. He likes to play Jay Beagle in certain situations. And when you put both those guys on the same line, that's the type of line that Travis Green wants to match against somebody. So we're probably going to see that Godet line maybe even get a lot, like get the least ice time a lot of games. And is that okay with you? Is that something that you want to address with the coaching staff or what? I'd say no. I say that's okay. Like that's your second scoring line, and that's the line that you're going to look to in the playoffs to just like get you that burst, you know, that burst of speed, that third line. And you know, we're saying Jake Vertan is going to be on there at that time. I think that's that's something that a lot of people. Are, yeah, I, mean, I don't think Jake stays on the first line for the whole yeah, season. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um. And that, that's the thing is, I think in the playoffs, this is a team, you know, we'll get into this later, this is a team that I think could surprise a lot of people if they get into the playoffs. Yeah, you've, uh, you've been giving out hot takes. Yeah, on yeah, I know. I sound like a betting bro, but uh, that's not the case. We will on. definitely get into that. We have to. I have to. I have to be accountable for that take. That's the other interesting thing that you brought up. So Jake Vertanen on that line with Adam Gaudet, they've had success in the past. If you look at Adam Gaudet's line mates, the most consistent line mate he's had this year is Jake Vertanen. They've almost played 200 minutes together at this point at 5-on-5. Antoine Roussel's a guy who's, you know, I guess he's looking at uh, 20, 21 games so far this season he's played, so he hasn't really been in the lineup for a long time. Obviously coming off of that tough injury that we saw last year, but... Is he the key to that line? Because I don't think we were talking about the Godet Vertanen line tearing it up early on this season. He is. He's a catalyst on that line, I think. Like the tenacity he brings, and you know, I'd say that in a sense, Antoine Roussel is very similar to the type of player a lot of people would love to see Jake Vertanen become, right? That bumping player, that guy who can really be a spark plug for his team and I think that's something we're going to see from Jake Furtanen in the playoffs I think he's really going to embrace that role but I think him being on that line he's a good mentor for Gaudette and Vertanen right and you know he's going to bring a lot he's obviously a great passer um, I want to talk a little bit about Jake Furtanen being on the first line as well because I have wrote about it in the past I think Jake Furtanen has been improving I think I mentioned it last week on the show I feel like he's turning the corner right now and I can't wait to see him when he gets around that bend but with Jake Furtanen in the spot right now, there is a lot of time for him to have success. When he's playing with Elias Pettersson and JT Miller, the two best playmakers probably on this Canucks team, Jake Furtanen, all he needs to do is put his head down and go to the net and keep his stick on the ice. He's going to score goals, and he's probably the fastest Canuck. We saw Brock Besser get a ton of breakaways before he was taken off this line. He would just happen to get breakaways because he's kind of the hanging winger who can actually take that chance and go for it and leave, maybe leave the zone a little bit early. We've seen Jake be groomed to be more aware defensively but when he puts when he's put into the situation with Miller and Petey do you think that he doesn't have to really worry about defense as much I mean that line is out there to score goals I think he doesn't have to worry about defense that much because that line controls so much of the play that line (laughs) usually just has the puck and you know Petey is so good defensively like we've talked about and you know Miller obviously everybody knows the book on him is that he is good defensively but Petey especially I think is like so good at getting the puck back and really like a pissed off PD is something you don't want to see. Like, you know, he's running around and he's actually throwing his weight around. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's why I think Jake's having so much success is because he's not really spending that much time in his, in his own zone. And that's the thing about the third line. Like, that's what I will say about that line is they do spend a lot of time in their own end, yeah. hemmed in their own end. And that's a problem, you know, but that's why they, maybe they see nine minutes of even strength. And that's why I'm okay with them not getting a ton of ice time, um, as opposed to like, PD getting ice time. Like, I don't think that third line should be taking away the first line's ice time. Yeah, that's a good point. And I guess, following that up like the third line you you are right like if you look at the courtsy numbers they're getting pretty caved in they're sitting at somewhere around like 44 45 percent 
But what is it about that line that makes that happen? Do you think it's maybe something to do with these players not being so aware in the defensive zone? Because, yeah, Jake has a lot to work on. I would still say that though Adam Gaudet's improved a lot, he still does have to work on his play in the defensive zone. And I think we've seen a couple times this year as well that Adam Gaudet hasn't recognized when to cover the point man. And now when you have Quinn Hughes on the ice, like Quinn Hughes is always stepping in. And if Adam Gaudet's not there to cover, that's also going to be a defensive liability. But Antoine Roussel's the type of guy who every time the puck goes into the corner, like you mentioned earlier, he's the first guy in there. He's getting in there as fast as possible. And if you look at this third line, what is it about that line that you think they're being caved in their zone so much? I think it's a young player, really. Like, Gaudette, you know, he needs to learn, and that's okay. I'm glad that Travis Green hasn't gone, oh, you know what, he made a defensive mistake, press box. Like, yeah. you know, I don't want to say he did that with Goldobin, but I feel like the leeway for a young player, like, I think Green's recognizing that Gaudette's improving, that he is a young player, and he is a part of the future of this team, and that he needs to develop, and Green needs to be the one to develop him, and I think he's done a pretty good job of that so far, and I think he needs to continue to do that, and Gaudette needs to continue to improve. Right, and Gaudette kind of has to improve, because if you look at teams that go on Stanley Cup runs, pretty deep at center, a lot of them have three centers that can control goal share, and I wonder... Like, how much more does Adam got it have to do before we start talking about this team center core being pretty strong? Because, you know, you got JT Miller or Elias Pedersen. I know it's a lot of JT Miller. We're not seeing PD in the center anymore, which is something that we've got to talk about maybe down the road or even in this episode. But you have Bo Horvat as your second-line center, a great guy to have, especially when you get into the playoffs. I know we've talked about this on other podcasts. We've talked about this off-air, but... Bo Horvat's the kind of guy that you want to see in the playoffs. I think you were going off about it on your uh, hit with Locked On. But the third line, I mean, you want to have a center that can control goal share. Right now, when Adam Gaudet's playing with Antoine Roussel and Jake Vertanen, he's controlling goal share. But when he's away from those two players, he's not. He's getting caved in a little bit as well on the goal sheet, especially at 5-on-5. Five five. So what is it that you need to see out of Adam Gaudet before you can start to say, like, this is a third line that I would like to go in the playoffs with? Well, that's the thing is he's producing points at a fairly decent rate. Like, I don't think anybody's complaining about his point production. I think he's at 21 at the time of this recording. Yeah, 21. Eight goals, 13 assists. That's a pretty decent rate for a third-line center. And, you know, he's young. He's improving. Um, So I think, really, the thing I need to see before I'm saying, okay, this is a great third line, is really just for him to continue improving in all all facets of his game and you know he's so young there's still so much time for him to do just that and I think based on what we've seen this year and like you know you compare what he was like last year compared to this year he's improved a ton and he's playing with a ton more confidence and I think that confidence is going to continue to grow and just even right from preseason it feels like his confidence has been really high and now his game is like progressing and he's really starting to get it in both ends of the ice and I think yeah if he just continues on the trajectory that he's on right now he'll be just fine and you know it's interesting we've talked about him for this long and we've barely kind of hinted at what he does on the power play I mean he can obviously fire that shot from the left side but the thing that I've really liked about Adam got in on the power play is he can kind of score from anywhere like he can be the bumper guy he's been used in the bumper position early on this year uh, but that was when we were seeing Sven Berchi get a little bit of a run on the left side power play. But now it seems like he is that guy. He's the trigger man now on the left side of the power play. And what does that mean if you can get that type of production on the second power play unit from your third line center? 
He has a sneaky good shot. Yeah. God I damn. Think it's more than sneaky now. Yes. I mean, it's, it's starting to prove itself. Exactly. And you know what I really noticed about his shot is how fast his release is. And you see that, like, you know, everybody talks about the fast release. And that's why Besser had so much success in his first year because of that quick release. Like, it really fools goaltenders. And what Godet does is he brings the puck really close to his skate and just rifles it home. And he's really good at picking his spot. And I think him in that left spot uh, on the power play really lets him tap into that side of his game and that's really good to see i really like having him in that spot i think that's a that's a really good call by green yeah as we're kind of wrapping up the chat about adam godette i just need to get something out of you that's not so positive like what is it the one thing that you need to see more of from godette from adam godette honestly I just need to see him score more goals. Yeah. Like that'd be great if he could pot twenty as a third line center. Nobody would be complaining ever about Adam Gaudet again. He could do whatever he wants in the defensive end. But if he's potting twenty goals as a third line center at at his age, I'm just fine with that. Yeah. Uh, surprised you didn't mention faceoffs. Forty percent in the in the faceoff dot. I think that's the one thing. But the the good thing about where he's at with this team and he's 23 years old he's only take in i think he's so yeah when i wrote this article for canucks army he just played his 100th game which was interesting because i think that when an nhl player hits 100 games you start to get a book on them right you start to kind of figure out what type of player they might be in the future you know if they're playing their 100th game and they were in and out of a lineup and they're 26 27 years old they probably aren't going to be much moving forward but when you play your 100th game at 23 years old there's still a you know very good potential moving forward there, and he has 40 percent in the faceoff draw right now. But we know we have Manny Melhotra here coaching these guys how to take faceoffs. You know you have Brandon Sutter and Jay Beagle and JT Miller. I mean JT Miller and Jay Beagle are some of the top in the league. So I wonder how much longer it is until we start seeing Adam Gaudet be able to take faceoffs. And you know I didn't even mention Bo Horvat there, but he's another guy who's great on this team and taking faceoffs. It'd be interesting to see if Gaudet can develop into being a good faceoff guy as well. You're going to see four lines that you're going out there winning 55. 60% of the face-offs. Yeah, that's one thing. You know what? I should have mentioned that for sure is his (laughs) face-offs. Like, that really does need to improve. And, you know, like, Patterson kind of gets bailed out a little on the face-off dot because Miller's so good at it. Like, at this point, I feel like Miller does the face-off, and then they switch positions. Miller covers the point, and Pedersen plays the center position. But Miller's the one usually taking the draws, and, you know, Miller's got a pretty good face-off percentage, 59.3 to Pedersen's 44.9. So I think you're right. Having four guys who can take face-offs, like, it'd be really good if Gaudet could bring that back up because, you know, he doesn't have the luxury of having, like, Brock Bester and Antoine Roussel can't take draws. Like, that's not an option. So (laughs) um, he doesn't really have that luxury that Pedersen has, but I think if he continues to improve, that's going to be just really good for the Canucks. So as we're wrapping up here with this kind of talk about Godet, the final thing I kind of want to ask, I think I said that on the last question, but we we get to see this team play a lot of overtime games. I mean, this team's in a lot of close games. We see a lot of overtime play. Do you think there's a chance that we see Adam Godet and Jake Vertanen get a run together? Because that's a pairing that I would like to see. I mean, they're an offensive duo. They're fast as hell. Jake Vertanen doesn't really get an opportunity in overtime, but when you have lines... You know, like JT Miller and PD are the duo. We've talked about this in past episodes. Brock Besser seems to get time with Bo Horvat in the second one. But should the third pairing that goes out there for the forward group, is it Gaudet and Vertanen, or is there someone else for you that you'd like to see the third pair? What have we seen? I think we've seen, like, two wingers go out at times. Like, yeah. I think that we've seen, like, Pearson. I think it's Pearson and Vertanen that go out together. Yeah, that might be um, the third one. You know, I'm not complaining about Pearson or Vertanen. But uh, if there needs to be a draw and they they can't change lines or anything like that, like they really, really need someone out there, definitely Gaudet. Gaudet's the one you want because say there is an icing, okay? Possession's so important. 
in three on three overtime. Okay, let's say, you know, for argument's sake, Pearson and Vertanen ice the puck. Who's taking the draw? Yeah. Like, which one of those guys are you? Tanner confident? Pearson is uh, two for thirteen in faceoffs this year. He's Ooh, taking it. That's bad. That's that's tough. That's a tough one. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that, like he's a winger. You can't really expect that. Like yeah. you obviously hope he doesn't ice the puck mm-hmm. um, in three on three OT. But you know, for argument's sake, let's say that happens. You definitely want a center out there. Like. It it kind of makes sense that they'd go with two wingers, but at, at the end of the day, you have to have a bit of confidence in your third-line center, and they should have some confidence in Adam Gaudet. And I, I think at three-on-three, three, Adam Gaudet can be more impactful than Tanner Pearson. Like, don't get me wrong, I've I've come around on Tanner Pearson. I was not sold on him last year. I wasn't sold on him coming into this year, uh, but uh, I've been sold on him this year because he's been incredible. I think he has, was it, 25 points in his last 24 games? Like, that's great production, especially from guys playing on the second line who didn't have a good season last year. But I, I think that when you look at three-on-three hockey, like Adam Gaudet would be more impactful to me than a Tanner Pearson. No, you're totally right. He's more... I say he's quicker than Pearson. He's got more offensive I, hockey IQ and just like everything about his game, kind of, I feel like Gaudet is a good option for three-on-three. And that shot, like we were just talking about his shot two minutes ago, you give him the time and space that you get in three-on-three overtime, I think Gaudet could really rifle some home here and win the Canucks some games if he was given the opportunity. It'd be great to see, yeah. And, like, I don't know, just the time and space you sometimes find yourself with in three-on-three OT and, like, on the rush, too, like on a two-on-one, I really like having Gaudet in that spot. Yeah, him and Vertanen would bring a lot of speed to the game, and, and that's something I'm excited to see. I mean, it's it's funny that uh, this guy hasn't come up, but I want to talk about him a little bit more before we get into too much stuff. Is is Louis Erickson's play of late? I mean, we talked about him a little bit last week, but it seems like with this week off, I think it's been a lot of t- it's been time for people to kind of look back and be like, wow, like Louis has been an impactful player in a top six. Like, who would have thought that at the start of the year? I remember, you know, like not even anybody, like no one even had a hot take about that at the start of the year when we were seeing some ridiculous hot takes out there. But he's found success because that line plays a lot of two-way game. I mean, they're put into situations where they have to be a two-way, a line that's effective in the two-way game. I mean, Bo Horvat matches up against the best line every single game. Tanner Pearson has a heavy stick in the boards. And it seems like Louis actually finding a role on this team, which I don't think a lot of people expected. And what is it about his game that works for some reason with Bo Horvat and Tanner Pearson? Well, I was writing my article for Passage to and I sent in Daniel Wagner went into the room for me and got me some quotes from Bo. And Bo basically said that he thinks that Erickson's underrated. And he, um, you know, that's a hot take right there in itself. <laughs> but uh, he thinks he's, you know, he's right. And Louis Erickson is good defensively. You have to give him credit for that. Um, and he's kind of caught fire with Pearson and Horvat. And the one thing I want to say, like, you know, I, I've, I wrote about it. I wrote about Louis Erickson, uh, becoming like a meme in Canucks culture. Right. And like, you know, he's a, he gets loud cheers at Rogers arena when he, whenever he does anything really. Um, and you know, I'm writing the 21 little things Louis Erickson has done well. And while that's all fun in games and everything, like, you know, Louis Erickson's played well, you have to give him credit. I, I wonder how much of this success, you know, Bo Horvat's found a lot of success in starting to play with him, is so much because of Louis as it is Bo Horvat and Tanner Pearson really just stepping up. And, right. like, uh, especially Bo Horvat, like, I don't want to take anything away from what Pearson's done or what Erickson have done on that line, but Bo Horvat himself has really stepped up in the past, like, 10 games or so. Yeah, and I think the quotes that you got out of there were saying that Bo Horvat was mentioning how, you know, Louis always in the right spot. And I think if you're playing in a line where you're kind of expected, 
you know, it's funny because we see so much ice time for the Bo Horvat line, but they're also really playing a lot of checking role. Like they are playing a checking role on this team. If there's a line that goes up and matches against the other team's best, it's Bo Horvat. Like he plays against McDavid's, he plays against the Leon Dreisaitl when that line's together, or, you know, that's the thing where the fourth line comes in, they'll match up against Dreisaitl line. But you see the Horvat line have to play against the best players in the NHL, and if they're not getting caved in in goals, and they're at least holding up even 50-50, like, is that a good takeaway if you go up against the best line on the other team every single game, and you can come out even on the goal sheet at 5-on-5? Like, that's got to be a success, right? It is a success, but why don't we just start off with my first hot take of the episode, Chris? (laughs) Speaking of that line, this is my hot take. Brandon Sutter on the second line instead of Louis Erickson. That's and you know, right. you know, I don't no one thinks Brandon Sutter is a top six player, but I'll extend an olive branch here. So Brandon Sutter's better defensively than Louis Erickson. I think that's safe to say. Okay. Brandon Sutter's played that defensive role. He's he he's a good two way player. I'd also argue that he's a better skater than Louis. I'd argue he has a better shot than Louis. I wonder what would happen if you put a guy who's already had success with Bo Horvat in the past. Their numbers together are pretty good. Brandon Sutter and Horvat have produced well together when they've played the few times they have played together. So I wonder, you know, it's it kind of is tough to say because you would obviously want a Besser on that line or Jake on that line. But let's say, just for argument's sake, that Brock goes back to the first line, Jake slots back down to that third line, who do you want on that second line? I would say right now it's Brandon Sutter because, you know, the legend of Louie lives on. But I feel like at one, at some point or other, you know, he's going to kind of start playing like his old self, the yeah. one we're used to. Um, and, you know, that's no knock on him. Like, he's solid defensively. He can play on that fourth line. He's still an upgrade on Tim Schaller, in my opinion. Um, but I'd say that Brandon Sutter is a more offensively gifted i think he has more two-way abilities than erickson does i think that the total value if you want to look at those two lines is higher with sutter on the fourth line because i think that something that you just mentioned earlier was you know brandon sutter has the ability to put the puck in the net he you know has a little tiny bit of offensive prowess and that's maybe something that the fourth line needs i feel like when louis erickson gets put on that fourth line he just disappears into games right we've seen so many times where louis doesn't have a hit he doesn't have a face off he doesn't have a shot he doesn't have an assist like he doesn't have anything and that happens when he's on the fourth line so when he's on the second line i think then he can be impactful and i know that brandon sutter can be as well like i, I think that's an option but I wonder if you're getting more out of both, like you're getting more out of the combined when Brandon Sutter's on the fourth line and Louis on the second line, because we're actually seeing something out of Louis here, and we just haven't seen it when he's been in a fourth line role. That's true. My only, my, I'm proposing this when Louis Erickson comes back down to earth and when yeah, he starts okay. playing like himself. If that doesn't happen, that's all fine and dandy. Right. I totally agree with you. But I'm pretty confident that this isn't going to last yeah. forever. Um, you know, I've writ- I've wrote about it. It's awesome. Like, it's great that Louis <laughs> playing so well right now. It's a meme in Canucks culture, and it's awesome. Yeah. But I do think he's going to come back down to earth, and I think at that point, you're going to be wanting to look at some other options. And, you know, my Brandon Sutter take is just one of those options. Yeah, and it's it'd be, you know, what we saw from Brandon Sutter at the start of the year was was pretty good. Before he got hurt, I mean, he was scoring a lot of goals. He was scoring a lot of big goals. He scored a lot of game-time goals and a lot of goals to give the Canucks a lead early on in this season. 
Uh, I've never been the biggest Brandon Sutter fan. I'm probably with a lot of uh, Canucks fans in this, but uh, I do see a lot of people out there still saying that Brandon Sutter should be this team's third line center. And uh, a lot of them are commenting on my Canucks Army post, which is ridiculous, which I saw a lot of actually in my Adam Gaudet one that I wrote. And I think that Sutter on that fourth line really shores it up because it brings the opportunity to have two guys that know how to play center along with Tyler Mott, who might be the hardest working guy on this team. And I think watching that fourth line come together is pretty impressive with them. But at the same time, it's like if you move Sutter up, which which like I would like to see. Like I get what you're saying when Louis starts to fall back. But then with the fourth line, do you have Louis Eric step in, or do you want to see a Tim Schaller, or is there someone in Utica that you would like to see like come up and play on the fourth line? Yeah, Justin Bailey talked about it all last week. Yeah. I'd love to see Justin <laughs> Bailey up here. But no, I think it's going to be Louis that goes back. Um, in all fairness to him, and you know, I think if there is an injury. My guy is Justin Bealey. I think he deserves a look. Jim Benning thinks he deserves a look. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he told that to Drance in their Q&A they did for The Athletic. Um, if the GM thinks that the guy deserves a look, I'm pretty sure he's going to he, get a look. He's going to get a look. He's going to get a look at yeah. the end of the day. And I think he deserves that look on the fourth line. Um, you know, Corey told us he's not, a, he's not really made for a defensive role but he does kill penalties and you know it's it's all part of a learning process I think and just his speed alone what he can bring to that fourth line I think it's going to be an experiment that I think will go well well that changes everything we've seen on the fourth line if you bring up a Justin Bailey to get an opportunity and I know we can talk about this later with Corey but like let's talk about it now because Justin Bailey scored again tonight I mean he's he's putting up ridiculous numbers here in the AHL. He's tied uh, Reed Boucher for the league lead in the AHL. The Canucks have the top 2 goal scorers in the AHL with 22 goals in Reed Boucher and Justin Bailey. We're not going to see Reed Boucher it seems like. But man, with the work that Justin Bailey has done lately, like he's he's banging on the door. He was knocking last week. Now he's just banging on it. Like he looks like he deserves an opportunity. The only thing that I see in his game that's keeping him out right now is the fact that he doesn't bring enough physicality to some games, and I think that's the only thing that's holding him back. We saw him today get challenged in a fight. He, you know, he turned it down, which was kind of good actually, because he drew a penalty. The other player dropped his gloves, and the Comets were able to go to the power play. But when I when I see players in the AHL that have such excellent skills, like Justin Bailey does, I mean, he's fast. He understands where to go on the power play. He has more power play goals than Reed Boucher, who might be the best power play producer in the AHL. And when you see that from Justin Bailey, like you're thinking, like what what is what are the reasons why he's not in the NHL, right? When he's faster than everyone in the AHL, there has to be a reason. And I think because he needs to be used in a bottom six role, and I think that he's not quite physical enough. I wonder, and he's six four. He's a big guy, six four two twenty five ish. Like he looks like the type of player that would be perfect for a bottom six. And if you skate like that, you should be in the NHL. But I just wonder, like, does he play too much like Gold Open? And I heard that the other day, and I was thinking, like, maybe he kind of does. Like, he might just he might be really big on the ice and look like a monster, but maybe he just doesn't have that in him to be in the NHL, and that might be the only thing holding him back. No wonder we love him so much. He plays like Gold Open. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that's a question we'll definitely have to ask Corey when we have him on the show. But that's the thing is, he's gonna come in a bottom six role. He's yep. not gonna, you know, no one's cl- no one's clamoring for him to come into the top six. That's just something that's not gonna happen. It's not an option. You know, like maybe he could play on the third line. Well, you have maybe. Sven Berchi, you have Nick Lagerstrom, exactly. you have Reed Boucher. I think those are better. All three of them, I think, are better options yeah. in the top six. But then again, we talk about the top six and we talk about the Bo Horvat line being in the top six. I mean, that's that's not where you're going to see Goldie. That might, that's probably not where you're going to see Berchi with the relationship where it's at, and you're definitely not going to see Boucher there. So, yeah, if, if somebody were to be moved out of there or Louis starts going down back down to earth, you talked about it. Jim Benning saw his hat trick. Jim Benning likes what Justin Bailey's doing. 
like could Justin Bailey be an option to play right wing with Bo Horvath? That's a good point because Zach McEwen did it. Exactly. So if he's the new Zach McEwen, <laughs> uh, you know, I'd say he he probably is the first guy that's going to get called up if yeah. a forward goes down. You know, a winger that is. I loved uh, on Monday. Uh, so the Canucks announced that Zach McEwen got sent down like. As he was taking the pregame skate, like he's oh taking the pregame skate gosh. with the Utica Comets, uh, and then it just seemed like, oh, maybe they just haven't announced it on their social media. Uh, which the Canucks social media, like, did you see the Jake for Tannen post the other I day? I did. What that did you was think of that? well, I I I thought it was funny, but I don't think the Canucks PR staff found it very funny because mm-hmm. that was deleted very fast. Right. Oh, they deleted it. Oh, they deleted, they it. deleted it. They deleted it, yes. So for people who don't know, it's kind of something going around. I think it's called the Dolly Parton Challenge. Yes, because Dolly Parton started. It's like right. a challenge where you post what you would post on your Facebook profile picture, yeah. your LinkedIn. Your LinkedIn is the one where you're wearing a suit. Then it's Facebook, Instagram, uh, and then Tinder's the final one. And they posted this one of Jake Vertan, and Jake Vertan's wearing a suit. And then I can't remember. Did you see any of the Canucks players that were commenting on it? No, what they so, said. Like Thatcher Demko was on it, and he's just like, he slays on Tinder. So I was like, I was kind of worried oh for Jake, right? Oh, my gosh. And, you know, Jake's down in Cabo right now with all of his boys, his brother's down there with them. Uh, have you been following anybody in the uh, in the bye week right now? Like, have you seen uh, Bo Horvat's out there doing dad stuff? Obviously, he's down there with Tanner Pearson in Disneyland. Uh, Jake's down there with Hutton and the boys in Cabo. Looks like they got quite a crew, actually. I think I saw a good Branson in there on the boat. Like, they're having a good time. Mike Stetcher's there, too, with yeah. them. Yeah. You know, who else is in Cabo, too? J Pat's down there, and you know he gets after it. Oh, J Pat's with them on the boat, yeah. for sure. <laughs> with his wife Driving and kids. Boat, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, it's, it's off season. The, I, you know, since we're mentioning that, I wonder, like, okay, the Canucks go into this break like running hot right they've been really good so far going into i think it's what is it nine and three in their last 12 or something like that i mean they've won a lot of games they've gotten themselves into first in the pacific but do you think that this bye week like couldn't have come at a worse time yeah i think momentum is really important in the nhl and i think the canucks had a lot of momentum going into this break and you know i hope that they can keep the momentum going but you have to wonder when does rest turn into rust and that's something we usually talk about with the playoffs but you know the Canucks did have quite a bit of time off they had more than most teams right right. and well I think it was two-thirds of the league took the week off before and a third of the league is going to get the week off after the all-star break so there's there has been a lot of teams off right now but like you mentioned, they played Saturday, and I think a lot of teams ended up having to play the Monday or the Sunday for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. And um, so that's the thing, right, is what is going to happen to these Canucks when they come back? Are they going to have the same momentum? Are they going to be, you know, tired out? And I know, you know, they have a morning skate the morning after the All-Star game. So those guys are going to, like, you know, when I say those guys, I mean, obviously, Markstrom, Hughes, Pedersen are going to have to come straight from St. Louis, try and get a good night's sleep, and then, you know, time shift and everything, go to morning skate in the morning. I think it's like 10.30 a.m. at Rogers Arena yeah. uh, the next morning. And that's a Monday morning, too. So, you know, right. you got they guys... play Monday, right? They're back at it on Monday, I think. Yes? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, like... Like I'm, I'm wondering about what do you think Travis Green's message is to this Canucks team that finds himself first in the Pacific, leading their division, uh, which we'll, we'll get into a little bit after the break. But I mean, what do you think? Uh, I guess we'll close out with this. Like, what kind of message do you think Travis Green's giving his players going into this break? Like, do you think he's worried about them being focused when they get back from this, or do you think he's saying like, listen, you guys are first in the Pacific, like you've earned a week to go have some fun? Like, where do you think Travis Green's at? Knowing Green, I think he's saying. 
go have fun, but not too much fun. Yeah. Don't do anything stupid. I feel like that's like the exact quote from At Quad. Jake. Like, where you, <laughs> yeah, you're in there. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of what the situation is. And uh, we'll take a quick break here to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Parallel 49. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the standings and uh, maybe the big friendly giant coming back as well. And before we go any further into the episode, I just want to give another shout out to our presenting sponsor, Parallel 49 Brewing. You guys can head down to 1950 Triumph Street to go and check out their East Van location. Also checked out their second location uh, today. That's where we met and extended the sponsorship, which I'm very excited for. Uh, they gave me a Trash Panda, and they also gave me a Craft Pilsner. And by the way, those are beers that they have. So go out and try some of those beers. They're better in a can. Uh, and I would go out and enjoy some Parallel 49 beer if you're the age of 19. Also, the exciting thing that we announced at the start of the episode, we're working on setting up a live show. It's going to be at Parallel 49. They're going to host it. They're going to have beer. They're going to have food. It's going to be an absolute blast. Uh, we'll be working on that into the future. But first and foremost, I just want to say thank you to Parallel 49 Brewing Company Beer. The fact that they're going to go out and support something that's local, something that's kind of you know small like a podcast. They're not out on Bell Media or Rogers. We're here just creating this podcast, me and Quads here, and the fact that they're helping us out monetarily is amazing. So go out and support a brand that's kind of doing that and helping out young broadcasters like me and Quads. So big shout out to Parallel 49 Beer. You guys can find them on Twitter at Parallel49Beer, or like I mentioned, go check them out in East Van at 1950 Triumph Street. A can over Coke in a bottle? Oh, no, bottle's good. Glass bottle, not plastic. No, glass, no, I take it in the can first. <laughs> oh, my God. And then have a cigarette. All right, guys, we thought that was a pretty appropriate way to bring us back into the podcast after our... When I par- drink Parallel, I take it in a can, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff. Holy shit. I don't know if they have a lot of bottles, but I'll take it in the can anytime. <laughs> I uh, take it in the can, Good first. stuff. Uh, actually, you know, I'll be on Rinkwide tomorrow, so uh, Parallel hooked it up. They gave me a, like 12 or so beers, so I'm going to head into Rinkwide, uh, TSN, back in the studio. I know I said that on Twitter. But uh, very excited again there. I think it's me and Harm on the round table, so I'm going to look dumb sitting beside Harm <laughs> with that thing. Just bring in the cans. Make everybody take it in the can and yes, you'll be just fine. Uh, okay, Quads, before uh, before we wrap up and get to Corey Hergott here, um, there's a couple things we've got to talk about. We, we kind of touched on the standings quite a bit, but I mean, just looking at it, it's been a point of conversation for a lot of people. There's... Uh, not a lot of, I mean, or sorry, there's a ton of parody in the NHL right now when it comes to, uh, the Vancouver Canucks and specifically the Pacific division. I mean, it is so damn tight going into the, going into, I feel like I'm just going to say something stupid now after listening to that clip. I'm still trying not to laugh. <laughs> okay. Well, talking about the standings, uh, the Pacific division, the Canucks, 58 yes. points, Edmonton Oilers, Calgary Flames, Arizona Coyotes, Vegas Golden Knights, 57 points. There's five teams basically leading this division right now. What is what does that mean for you kind of looking at it from like a league point of view? Like, is that good or do you think that there's something that needs to be adjusted? Because the idea of three points for a win, two points for a tie, one point for an overtime loss, and no points for a loss has been thrown out there. It's used across seas. I love that idea. I think that's a great way to do it. I think that shows more of how your teams kind of balance out. I this this I don't like this. Like this is like the fact that the Canucks are first in the Pacific, I like. But how are five teams, you know, sitting there at 57 or 58 points? Well, they have the same amount of wins almost. So that's a good starting point, I guess. But, you know, yeah, I mean, 
yeah, I guess it it would be cool if they changed the point system a little. I think it would it would create a little more separation. But then yeah. again, and actually, I messed it out. It, it was you get three points for a win in regulation. Yeah, yeah. two points for an overtime, overtime win. Yeah. one point for an overtime loss or shootout as well, or zero points for a loss. And like that's. That should be how it is, I think. Sure, but I also like that they're so... Oh, I just yelled into the mic. I like that they're so close because it creates all these crazy battles right up until the end of the season. Like, you know, I don't know if you watch much Italian soccer, but the same teams make the... What do you think? Sorry. The same teams make the playoffs every year, basically. And it's like, you know, Juventus, uh, Roma... All these teams are right at the top of the league. Every you, sing- t- you just taught me how to pronounce f- I can't even, focaccia bread. Focaccia. Focaccia, focaccia Chris. Focaccia. Focaccia. So, yeah, I just learned how to pronounce that before the podcast. I still messed it up. But so, yeah, go ahead. I don't want to compare it to soccer, obviously, because soccer sucks. Oh, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you, it just creates, like, you know, you kind of know who's going to win. And that's, you know, there's a million reasons with soccer, especially Italian soccer, like, you know, every, there's no salary cap for certain teams and all that. Well, there's no salary cap for any team. But, you know, like, the teams that rake in the most money always have the best teams. Right. Uh, you know, like, Juventus can afford to pay a Ronaldo. Um, you know, I don't want to keep talking soccer. Yeah, but- can I get us away from this? Okay, <laughs> the Canucks, uh, the thing that's interesting for me, looking at where they are in the standings and why they're number one, is that home record. I mean, sitting at home, they are 16-5-3. and three. And yeah, you look at the other divisions, like the Central, the St. Louis Blues are 17, 4 and 4. The Colorado Avalanche are 14, 7 and 4. Like the Canucks, they look like a, a, a team that's leading their division from their home record. I mean, if you can play that good at home, you're going to sit somewhere in the top of the standings. So, like, how much has that been brought into this year? Because, man, the Canucks have not been a team like this at home. They've been a team like that that we saw over the past. Like, they've not the team that dominates at home, but this year, that record is something that sticks out, and that's probably the reason why they're sitting number one in the Pacific. Yeah, the home record has been very good, and I think, really, it's like the the schedule itself as a whole has been a lot easier on the Canucks this year. They've had longer homestands. They've had fewer road trips. The length of those road trips hasn't been as bad, and the kilometers traveled hasn't been as bad as it has in past years, and I think they're really taking advantage of the home cooking. You look at a guy like Chris Tanev has stayed healthy for all 49 games, I think. Yep. He's suited up for all 49 games so far. And that just hasn't happened in a really that long... one game where he, uh, he went down the tunnel twice. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. I was like, oh, that's the end of Chris Tanev. Nope, yeah. he's back blocking shots again. What do you uh, think about Tanev? Because like, that's something that I wouldn't mind talking about a little bit too. Is like, is is this something that we could see going forward? Or, man, like we've seen so many injuries to Chris Tanev. Like, mm-hmm. Can you expect that at all? Or like is he a guy that can maybe end up playing 75 plus games every year for you because he's got a contract up at the end of this year and the Canucks have a huge decision to make I wouldn't give him a contract as though he's a guy who can play 75 yeah. <laughs> plus games a year I would give him a contract based on what you know and what you know is that he is one of those players that is a quite injury prone and you know he's had some good fortunes this year that nobody's saying like disputing that the thing is, when you're t- looking at a defenseman who's going into a, his free agency year, his goal is to sign in Vancouver. He might take a hometown discount. You know what I mean? Like they, yeah. Because what is what does he make on the open market? Like you exactly. The thing is, like nobody has made that offer for Chris Tanev that's been a first round pick and a prospect, right? Like that's what people wanted when he was at his height of value, and he's not there right now. So if he does hit free agency. Like, what kind of money do you think Chris Tanev gets out there, and how many years does he get? Geez, from any team, I really don't know from the Canucks. I'd like to see him get around a $4 million and maybe less than that. 
And I don't know about the years. I'd, I would like to see like two years, if I'm being honest. I don't want it. I'd like it to be similar to Alex Edler, but with fewer dollars attached to it. Like Alex Edler, sure. Like he's, again, he's one of those players that gets injured quite a bit, but he was for those two, those last, the last two seasons, Alex Edler has been the Canucks best defense, yeah. defenseman. He's played some of the best hockey of his he career. He was definitely like the most relied upon yes. for those two years. Yes, right? exactly. And Quinn Hughes has come in and taken a lot of pressure off Alex yep. Edler, which is, Matt, something that he really needed because he's had a lot of pressure on him over the past couple of years to be yeah. a number one defenseman when he's really not in the yeah. past couple of years. No, exactly. And, you know, he, he's lived up to it. He's played well. Like, you have to give him credit. He yeah, has, absolutely. he did play some of his best hockey in the last two years. Um, that being said, I think when you see guys like, you know, I'll throw the name Brogan Rafferty out there on the right side. Uh, we'll talk about Nikita Triamkin later. I don't think he's going to be on the Canucks. I hope not. But, um, <laughs> I really just I I don't want to see the Canucks go all in on Kristanov mm. and lock him up long term. I don't want to see that at all. I like what does that mean for Stetcher? Exactly, right? And there's a lot there's a lot of things that go into it. And I think the main thing is you don't want to lock up a player that is injury prone and you know he's injury prone like you know he's we just talked about it. he's had good fortune. You don't want to lock up a player who's had who's living off good fortune right now, you don't want to lock up a player like that for a long period of time. I just don't see Chris Tanev signing two years at 4.5. I I don't see that happening. From the Chris Tanev camp, if he's able to stay healthy this year, he's a right-shot defenseman Like going into free agency next year. I know Tyson Berry's going to be out there. He's going to be the number one. But, I mean, Chris Tanev hits open market. I think he's getting 5-2-5, and he's getting three to four years for sure. At five two five, and and like you mentioned, maybe he does want to take a hometown discount to stay in Vancouver. He he doesn't know anywhere else. He's been in the NHL his whole career mm. with the Vancouver Canucks. He's one of the two players that was here on the twenty eleven Stanley Cup run. I think that Chris Tanev wants to continue to play here, similar like we see with Jacob Markstrom. Like, does Jacob Markstrom go to free agency and make plus more than five point five? That's another conversation we can probably save for next week. But with Chris Tanev, like. I don't know if he signs two years. I think he wants at least three years. I think he's 30 years old. He'll be 31 next season. I think he needs three years. I think he needs to get to 34 years old before he starts taking a serious pay cut. And if he's making, I think, 4.37 or something right now, like it's it's not a huge hit, but he needs a raise from that, I think. I think he's earned a raise in his mind. He's earned a raise if he can stay healthy this year. Because, yeah, players go, if he ends up playing all 82 games this year, it's like, man, like I just played 82 games for you. That's what he can say. And it's like, well, you were injured for all those years before, but that's not what the agent cares about. The yeah, agent cares that's a about, good point. Hey, we're coming up off of a contract. We're in a contract year, Chris. You're going to have to play all 82 games. And if he goes out and plays 82 games, then has he earned over $5 million, Or do you still think that the Canucks should say no because we've seen what you've done in the past? Well, sorry, you know what else also helps your argument more than it helps mine is <laughs> what they just gave to Tyler Myers. Yeah, that's true. That really... Where he's playing. Exactly. That really helps the Tanev but camp. then again, like to, to, I'll give you one back. He's playing with Quinn Hughes. Like to Chris Tanev is playing with Quinn Hughes. How much does that raise him and how much should that drop his money? That's true. And here's another thing that I'm worried about. How many defensemen... You know, Quinn Hughes is young. He's going to be on the Canucks for a long time. How many defensemen are going to try and cash in yeah. on playing alongside him it's gonna be an Anson Carter type thing yeah. like it's like look what I just did pay me but you know you do it playing alongside Quinn Hughes and you know Chris Tanev has himself has called Quinn Hughes the most skilled partner he's ever played with at any level like yeah. even like Adam that was Quinn Hughes is the most skilled <laughs> he's ever played with um so I I 
I don't. How wanna... much is it though? Like, how much do you think that the reason we're not seeing Chris Tanev get hurt, or the reason that he's playing pretty well, his Corsi numbers are high, like, is everything due to Quinn Hughes, or is Chris Tanev playing better in himself? I think if you ask Quinn Hughes, I don't think he'd say that. I think I think they make each other better. Right. Like Quinn Hughes makes everybody better that he's played with. We've so does seen that, that raises value though. Like, does that mean that we should pay Chris Tanev if he makes Quinn Hughes better? Or do you think that a lot of guys can make Quinn Hughes better like Chris Tanev can? Like, it, that's got to be a value for him. Like, hey, look, what I did, you guys brought in this rookie. He was able to come play with me and move into this, like, this great rookie season where he's an all-star. He's playing with me. Like, I'm Chris Tanev. I'm taking a lot of the defense. I'm making it easier in the back end for Quinn Hughes. I'm moving the puck to him so that he can be the guy that gets those secondary assists when he's passing it up to Petey and Miller on their breaks. Like, Chris Tanev is making Quinn Hughes better, for sure, but... That's the interesting thing. It's like, man, what does that mean for a contract? And additionally, I'd like to also throw in that, you know, the Canucks like to pay for veteran leadership. Yeah, and they do. Chris Tanev, I, shout out to Natalie from Passage Bulis. She just wrote an awesome story about how Chris Tanev has turned into the Canucks team dad. And she got some really good quotes from uh, uh, Hughes, Patterson, and Besser. Um, and I think Stetcher as well. But they were talking about how Chris Tanev, like, Brings them to their house, like him and his fiance. Bring them to the house all the, the time. Instagram page, you got to shout that out. Yeah, I it's saw all the Natalie pugs. wrote a lot about that in there too. Mister yes. Beauty, is his name was Pug. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's it's weird. That's incredible. But let's let's just put it out there right now. Like, I think the Canucks are very interested in re-signing Chris Tanev. I think if they let Troy Stetcher walk, that might be a mistake because for you, who's more valuable to this team? Is it Chris Tanev or is it Troy Stetcher? Stetcher's better at staying healthy. That's true. When healthy, I'd say Tanev is a better defenseman than Stetcher. I'd like to have Tanev on the team. But the reality of it is you can't say, oh, yeah, if he had just stayed healthy. You can't keep saying that. Yeah. You can't use that as an excuse. It's not you, – you can't expect Tanev to stay healthy. You can only hope that he stays yeah. healthy. But here's the thing. like Chris Tanev seems like the type of player – that would go on like an Iron Man streak. Like he seemed maybe like okay, so like from the past, this sounds crazy to say, but you look at how much of a fighter Chris Tanev is and how much he's come back from these injuries, he's had some pretty freak ones in the past. Like a lot of them have been tough looks for him. I know he blocks a ton of shots and he's he's been injured a couple times from that, but he's had some really awkward injuries as well. And like he just seems like the type of player who's gonna go out there every night if he's able to skate and be on the ice. Like he seems like the kind of guy that would, but man, like saying that sounds so nuts because he's been injured so much in the past couple of years. So, but that's like when I look at those two players, if I look at Troy Stetcher and I look at Chris Tanev and I look at their age and I look at what they bring to the team, I, I'm paying lower money and keeping Troy Stetcher because both their contracts are up this year. They ha they're going to have to make a decision, and I think you mentioned it earlier. A lot of that decision is because of what they just did with Tyler Myers, which is unfortunate because there's an argument out there, and I think a lot of people would be on this side, that Troy Stetcher and Chris Tanev have been better than Tyler Myers. Oh, 100%. So like, when you're paying him $6 million, you know that that's going to be a reason why they have to choose between Chris Tanev and Troy Stetcher likely at the end of this year. What do you think Troy Stetcher makes with the arbitration that he has? I think that I think Troy's about I think Troy comes in at three years at 3.35. So what do you think Tanev would make? I think if he's signing, I think he in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. So in Vancouver, I'd say Chris Tanev is somewhere like he's going to want three years. That third year is going to be what yeah, he wants. Okay. I think that Chris Tanev is going to want protection in the expansion draft yeah, as well. Yeah. And I think he comes in at three years, 5.15-ish. 
He's over five, I think. Yep. I don't think he's coming in at under five, and no. I think he wants that third year, which is going to be – that might be where the decision is made by the Vancouver Canucks to say, like, hey, man, like, I don't know if we can do three years because we have Tyler Myers locked yeah. up for those years because we maybe want to keep Troy Stetcher. And that's that's a decision that's going to be made in the offseason because I, I don't know – and we hear Rick Dollywall talking about it all the time that you know the camps you know still having conversations. We saw an update from Pierre LeBron, which was like the most non-update thing ever, where he was just like, "They're still talking." It's like Pierre, that's not an update. Everybody's <laughs> talking, dude. Everybody in this world has a podcast. But like the thing with Troy Stetcher and Chris Tanev is, okay, we look at age, we look at this core. Troy Stetcher makes a lot more sense. He's going to come in at less money. And maybe you can even lock him up long-term because he is a hometown kid. I know that Chris Tanev might want to take that hometown discount, but Chris Tanev is also 30 years old, and this is the final time for him to sign a contract that's three to four years. And if he hits open market and he gets to free agency, he's getting four years. Like Some team will pay Chris Tanev 5.5 for four years, and that might be enough to say, like, okay, I'm going to go somewhere else. Like he's He can worry about making 5.5 until he's 34 years old. That's something that probably every defenseman in the NHL wants to do. I could see Pittsburgh giving him a contract. That's one team. You know, they really like those Tanev boys. We never (laughs) traded him Toronto, but Toronto might, uh, you know, I know their cap's going to be tight, but when Tyson Berry comes off the books, you know, that's that's another option there. They've always wanted Chris Tanev, it seems. Or we think that he's... Yeah, I think Canucks fans think Toronto really wants him. Maybe they don't. uh, But you know who the Canucks want is Tyson Berry. I guess we we don't really have a lot of time to get into this, but we will have to talk about Tyson Berry down the road. I feel like we could have done a Patreon episode after this. Yeah, jeez. We do got to move on, but there's one thing I wanted to close out because you mentioned it a couple times, and I think it's super exciting what Daniel Wagner and Passive DeBoulos is doing. Moving to VI is awesome. Is what it's called? VIA. VIA. Sorry, I keep uh, I keep mentioning it because like everything that I did on Vancouver Island yeah. was always VI and then something. Oh yeah. So VIA Vancouver is awesome. Uh, you've joined it, so why don't you just talk a little bit about it and like how that kind of came with you getting started with Wags? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, Daniel Daniel sent me a message, and it was after I wrote my uh, article about Adam Trotman, the ex- Coquitlam Express forward who dealt with racism earlier in his life and in his career. Uh, he had a good message and, uh, I was really like thankful that he wanted to pass that message on through me and through that article. So I did that and Daniel really liked that article. And that's when he approached me, he said, Hey, I was really impressed with this. Uh, why don't you come on to Pastabulus? I'm going to be getting a freelance budget. And he's like, I'm going to get some more people. Uh, and then, you know, he's put together such a great lineup. You know, he's got Cody on the Comets coverage, Jackson, uh, pumping out all that negativity that he does. <laughs> I tell you, man, like Jackson gets it a lot in this market, but Jackson is a great shield. To Jackson. Have. <laughs> yeah. Jack. Well, Jackson's a great writer too. He is he's, a great he's writer. An awesome. Editor. And you know what? People that see our articles don't know, like, and I don't think they understand this. And I think I've mentioned this before, but like they go through Jackson. Jackson makes him look a lot better. Oh yeah. And I know he gets ripped on in this market because yeah, he does, <laughs> you know, he puts on a show sometimes. <laughs> you could say that like, but you know, at the same time, yeah, Jackson is a great writer. He's an excellent editor. Uh, like I, I look at the articles that I give to him when they come out of there. They're so much better. Yeah, uh, tons of respect for him. But yeah, I mean, like VIA, it, it seems pretty cool. And like I, we, I know we've both talked to Wags a little bit about it, and he is stoked because you know he's into this role now where he's editing a great group of people's work. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's what it is. It's a great group, and you know, back to Jackson. Uh, he's he's a great dude, and he's good at his job, and people need to realize that. And you know, my articles are not 
looking nearly as good I without think he's Jackson. told us like privately you and me have the worst looking articles at Canucks army before yeah he yeah that's that's for sure like dude I like I feel bad sometimes like I'll like bold my bold some stuff at the end of a sentence and I'll put in all caps and be like Jackson clean this up make this sentence better like <laughs> yes. and you like read it and you're like oh fuck quads yeah. again <laughs> yeah I feel like I might be at the bottom of the total pole uh, with actual <laughs> writing but I think we, we do put in the effort and we do put in the research which makes our articles look decent but uh, I wanted to finish with that you mentioned that there's some comments coverage on VIA, but we've got some comments comments coverage here as well, and I think it's the best in the AHL. So let's get to it. It's time for riding the bus with Corey Hergott. Play by Zach McEwen, who draws the Comets to within one. A little shimmy shake. Lip with a shot, and he scores! Paul Lynn with a second in his many games in the Comets. All right, guys, joining us now for the Riding the Bus segment. He's coming off of watching a tough one against the Belleville Senators. Corey Hergott. Corey, how are you doing today, bud? Uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, the Comets kind of soiled the sheets in the third period tonight, so that made for a tough game. But, uh, you know, it is uh, it is what it is. It's the AHL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely is. And, and, Corey, they're coming off of they just won three games. Then this past three, they just lost after that. So, I mean, it's been an up-and-down little bit here for the Comets, but I think... You know, this team has been a little bit of a roller coaster, maybe not as much as the Vancouver Canucks have been, but there's been times where the Comets have looked like the best team in the AHL. Like, I know that last week I made another weird statement saying that Justin Bailey moves around players like Connor McDavid does, but like, when the Comets are running, they have to be in there for the best team in the AHL, right? Yeah, when they're firing on all cylinders, they're pretty tough to beat. Um, you know, offensively, they can normally get the job done. Unfortunately, the last few games have been a little bit, uh, little bit flat on that side for them but uh you know they're a team that can pile up a lot of goals they have a lot of guys who can score it's just a matter with them of uh, keeping pucks out of their own net and tightening things up defensively i think that's kind of where the wheels fall off the wagon a little bit for them as uh on the defensive side of things they, they tend to give up a lot of shots uh they tend to miss assignments when they've got guys playing out of position a fair bit and uh you know you got the odd echl guy uh working their way into the lineup this year as well not as many as in previous previous years but uh we still see those guys getting in and they can affect the flow of a game um you know in a different way that's maybe it's not a fact of them uh playing poorly but uh them maybe trying to do something to make themselves noticed that kind of goes against the flow of the game and that's the kind of thing that can really kind of bunch up a game on a team you know, Corey, we just talked earlier in this episode about Justin Bailey. A goal for, again for him tonight. And we were just talking about him maybe coming up to play 
potentially on Bo Horvat's wing you know, on that line. And what do you think about him playing more in a defensive role if he were to come up to the Canucks? Because Jim Benning said he wants a look at him. So what do you think about him playing in more of a defensive role compared to maybe like a two-way role on Bo Horvat's line? It's really hard to say. I mean, I think, uh, I, I don't know that I would necessarily consider him a, you know, straight up defensive player. I, I think, uh, you know, the guy can bring some offense to the table. The biggest thing with him is over his career, he's been a bit of a streaky player. Now he's been on a really nice run lately. I, I think he's got something like 11 points in his last seven games. I think he's got 14 goals in his last 15 games or something along those lines anyway. Um, so that's the, right now he's hot. So if the guy's hot, uh, there's, I don't see anything wrong with bringing him up and get, giving him a look, um, you know, whether they want to try him on a, in a fourth line role or, or try him on Bo's wing. I mean, the big thing about Justin Bailey is, uh, you know, he can drive play with his speed. Uh, he doesn't have to necessarily be the finisher on Bo's line, if, but if he's a guy that can maybe get pucks in, you know, take the puck in deep and get it back to, uh, you know, Horvat and Pearson setting up, I think that's uh, something that could maybe work for them. It's a possibility. Uh, I, I think he's definitely worth a look uh, at the NHL level. He does have experience uh, between Philadelphia and Buffalo. Uh, hasn't piled up points by any means, but uh, he's shown reasonably well when he's been up at the NHL level. And I think a lot of that has to do with, the, you know, the man's got incredible speed. Uh, we see it every game. He, he just has a knack of putting defenders back on their heels. And, and that's not something that the Canucks have in abundance right now. Right. And Corey, I guess like when I, and I mentioned this earlier in the show when we were talking about Bailey a little bit. You know, okay, when you have the type of skills that Bailey has, like he's he's fast as all hell. He's one of the fastest players, if not the fastest player in the AHL. He has a knack around the net. He's got all those power play goals now this season. But there's there's something that's holding him back. And, and from watching him this year, I guess the only thing that I see, and I think I mentioned this with you last week, is the fact that he's a big bodied, right? But I've heard this over the past couple of weeks, an argument made about it. Like, does he play too much like Nikolai Goldobin? Like, is he not using that big body enough? Is is that the reason why he's not an NHLer? Because he does have a lot of other skills that should make him into an NHL player. Well, and this is just the you know the age old tale of a guy that's uh, a big player that's got skill. I mean, you, you look at a guy. We heard it all the time from a guys like Taylor Pyatt. The guy's big. He doesn't use his size well enough. Right. You know, when he was a Canuck, um, Justin Bailey. When I talked to him at training camp this year, that was something that he said that he wanted to bring to the table more this year is more of a physical presence. Now, that's not something that we've seen a ton of. We have seen him dish out a few pretty decent hits this year, but he doesn't go looking for physical play. He does well in the dirty areas, like he's not shying away from physical play by any means, but he's not going to go and be, you know, be running guys through the boards. I don't really think that that's his game. Um, you know, just because a guy's 6'4 and 215-ish pounds, whatever he is, I mean, does that mean that he has to play that way? Uh, you know, just because he's not uh, five foot eight or five foot nine kind of a thing i don't know i i think that the guy can play the game at a, at a high level and uh you know just because he's six four doesn't necessarily mean he has to be crushing guys out there right. in my opinion anyway but i can see how that you know with the nhl the way it's been uh you know they like the big body guys to be banging and uh if you're not banging and you're a big body you got to be doing something else out there that you know the team values and i mean he's got that speed and the speed that's something that a lot of teams, you know, really kind of need. And the Canucks especially, I think they need more speed on their team. And he could certainly bring it. 
Yeah, he seems like the kind of like prototypical fourth line guy that we're going to see a lot of in the future. Like he does have the size, he has the speed, but uh, maybe you mentioned that. Yeah, maybe he doesn't go in for the banging. But the guy that has been, and in this game that we just watched against uh, the Belleville Senators, and honestly, like I've noticed something change in his game. It feels like over the past five games or so, like. Cole Lind is, is back to being pissed off again. Like, I'm loving watching him play. I think he's been the best player for the Comets, you know, throughout a couple games in this past five-game stretch. And and I don't know. It, it, have you noticed something that has uh, improved in his game? Like, it just seems like it, he just looks better and he's impacting games even more than he was earlier in the year. Yeah, well, the thing with Cole is it's just we're just seeing him evolve uh, game by game. Uh, you know, if he's not like today, he didn't pick up any points. But like you said, he brought a, a physical edge to the table. And, and uh, that's, you know, Cole kind of brings he's not a guy that uh, leaves you wanting for the most part. I mean, he brings uh, the same game to the table every game. Uh, you know, he's not a guy that takes shifts off. He goes out there and uh, works hard on on every battle that he's in. I mean, that, that's a guy that he likes to battle along the boards, um, and he works hard in that. And he's got a lot of skill to back it up. I mean, if you've well, you've seen some of the passes he's made this year as well. I mean, absolutely the the, the skill that he brings on the the playmaking side of things. Uh, you know, that's that's a feather in his cap. He's 20, what, 21 years old now, uh, second year in the league. He's in the top uh, 10 or 11 in AHL scoring, I believe, right now. Um, you know, he's a guy that, uh, he, I got a lot of time for Cole. I think he's he's a player that uh, we're going to be seeing in Vancouver here. Maybe not uh, a whole lot this year, but uh, by the end of next season, I think, you know, he's going to get some time with the Canucks on a regular basis. Tonight also marked the return uh, for Brogan Rafferty to the Comets lineup. He had six shots on goal tonight, Corey. What did you think of Brogan Rafferty's game tonight? Uh, I think he looked like a guy that's uh, had a few games off, but, uh, you know, like you said, he's got, he's, he got six shots on goal. Uh, he was moving around the puck well in the in the offensive zone again. Uh, he missed a couple of assignments in, in his end, which, you know, that tends to happen from time to time, to time with him. But uh, overall, I think he had a you know a pretty decent game back, considering he missed I think three or four there. So, um, you know, he's a guy that he's heading off to the All Star game this weekend. So we'll see what he can do there when he's lined up with uh, with Boucher in the North Division roster. That should be a lot of fun. Yeah, how exciting is that? Do you just think for a guy like Brogan Rafferty, like we? I think a lot of people were worried, and I know you were worried about maybe not seeing him in the All Star game. But man, like the fact that he comes back, plays a game before the All Star game, like I think a lot of people predicted two weeks on this injury, but it seems like getting him back and getting him in the All Star game, that's just got to be, you know, another boost of confidence for a guy who's had a ton of those this year. Yeah, and that's the big thing with Brogan. Uh, it's a big thing with a lot of these young players in Utica this year is we're seeing them playing with more confidence. And, uh, you know, uh, Rafferty at 24 years old, he's not one of the younger uh, young guys on the team, but, uh, you know, he's, he brings that confidence over from his college game. He's been able to uh, translate uh, a good deal of his college game to the AHL level. And uh, we're, we're like Cole Lind, we're seeing him grow pretty much every game. The guy's doing something that, uh, you know, makes you open your eyes and say, wow, this is a prospect that's, uh, he's moving in the right direction. Right. And Corey, I, I know I mentioned it last week again, but I, I, I'm probably going to keep mentioning it until I start to see DiPietro become a starter because uh, Zane McIntyre didn't look great again tonight. He had a couple go by him. Obviously, there were some tough giveaways from the Comets, but he lets in five goals on 26 shots. You know, that's an 808 save percentage. Uh, couple of games ago he was pulled i just i'm wondering like why aren't we seeing mikey di pietro start to get a run of games here 
Well, Mikey DiPietro will be back in tomorrow. He'll be starting the game tomorrow. Uh, my understanding uh, from the post-game scrum tonight is that um, the Canucks had, uh, I think it was, I don't know if it was um, Ian Clark or if it was Curtis Sanford, but uh, Pietro was working uh, the last couple of days with the goalie coaches and uh, the, the uh, coaching staff wanted to give him today off. So he was... Uh, like they had Bachman backing up today, so uh, Pietro had today off, and we'll be seeing him tomorrow. Is is what my understanding is. I do think that the coaching staff um, has a lot of trust in him. I do think he's the guy that's going to be by the end of the season. When we look back on the year, we're going to see that he's played the uh, you know more games as the starter than uh, McIntyre has, and I think he's going to be the man next year in Utica. Now you know we have to ask you at least once every week about Nikolai Goldobin. So why don't you give us a Nikolai <laughs> Goldobin update, Corey? Like, how has he been playing in the past week since we last talked to you? Oh, boy. Um, I mean, Nikolai Goldobin, to me, he brings, uh, at the AHL level, he's uh, he's a very, very good player, obviously. He piles up points uh, at, at a pretty nice rate. Um, but he does still make mistakes. It, it's just part of the thing that happens when you watch goalie play. Um you know he'll make if he makes 10 great plays in a game uh he'll make two that have you scratch in your head uh he took a couple of penalties tonight uh, luckily the comets were able to score on one of those with a shorthanded goal but uh you know I, I i know you guys are big big goldie fans but i'm not sure that uh he's got a future with the canucks um past this season i guess we'll have to wait and see one other player that we want to get an update on is Sven Berchi. And, you know, like, he's wanted to come back to the NHL since he was sent down. And he's playing so that he can get another shot with an NHL team. Whether that be the Canucks or not, we'll have to wait and see. But how has Sven Berchi fared in the past week? He's looked good. I mean, the, the thing with Sven is, uh, you know, you see him going out there. And uh, for a guy that's had a lot of concussion issues, he initiates contact. He was a physical player tonight. He dished out a yeah. couple of pretty <laughs> solid hits. And, uh, I mean, he's a he's a fantastic playmaker. I mean, we've seen it at the NHL level, uh, his puck skills. And, and at the AHL level, it's magnified that much more. Uh, no points for him today, but uh, he had a pretty solid game today. Uh you know, it's it's one of those things where I I believe Sven Berchi is an NHL player. I think he could play on an NHL roster. Uh, it seems the, this coaching staff has probably seen it as much of him as they they care to see. So my guess is is uh, when he's playing on an NHL roster next, it's it's going to be on a team that's not named the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, and you know, I I kind of just want to echo what you said. Like it's it's seeing him play physical down in the AHL, and I. I I mean, like, that was something that a lot of Canucks fans were worried about was, you know, does is, is, is his brain going to hold up, which is, you know, a horrible thing to say. But, like, that's what a lot of questioning of him going into the season was, was is he going to get another concussion? Is this going to be the last we see him play hockey? But you just mentioned he's going out there and being physical and he's getting involved in the AHL probably more than we've even seen him get physical at the NHL level. So is that something that he's trying to prove to maybe get a, a shot with another team that he's okay and he's a, he's physically ready to play in the NHL? Yeah, I think so. And I think I like I don't know that he's going out there and, and hitting like you know, seeking physical contact uh, the way he is because he's very involved specifically though. he is very involved. He's more he's really engaged in the in the games and I mean he's he, I think he is trying to show that hey, I can be a durable player. 
he missed a few games with a high ankle sprain, but I mean, he's back in in the Ross in the lineup the last two games, and he hasn't looked like a guy that's coming off a high ankle <laughs> sprain. I mean, that's an injury that usually uh, keeps a guy out for a bit, right? Yeah. Well, final question, Corey. Uh, I, recently, I've gotten my first opportunity to go on with the Utica guys, and uh, you know, K Rock and Scoop and Rain and and all those guys. I know that you were listening. Can you rate my first performance on K Rock Radio? You crushed it. <laughs> well, thank you. You absolutely crushed it. The, those guys love you, man. You're. Uh, they. I got a message from them uh, thanking me for um, bringing you into the fold for them. So uh, yeah, you're uh, you're going to be a regular down on the Utica airwaves. Uh, you know, beyond going forward. That's good. I I think the first one I went into, I just drank like a lemonade, uh, and like I had like you know when you have too much sugar and your throat's kind of like swelling up. Like I was worried going into that because I <laughs> I just finished a big thing of lemonade. I was worried about it, but uh, yeah, it's it's a blast talking with those guys. And uh, yeah, I mean like for people that don't know, I know that we've kind of mentioned it a lot over the past couple of weeks. But the stuff that they're doing recently is it's so great for this Comets team. And I think that was something that I brought up in the first conversation with them was that's something that Vancouver Canucks fans don't really understand. Like how impactful having this team in Utica actually is. Like, that fan base is crazy. We saw it again tonight. Every Friday night game in Utica just seems like an absolute party, and their fans absolutely love it there. Yeah, I mean, there's no questioning uh, the support that they get from their fan base in Utica. The the fans there love the team. They they back them whether they're winning or losing. They they certainly have their uh, they certainly have their share to say when the team is losing. Uh, there, there's a couple of uh, Comets uh, fan pages that I belong to or that I go on, um, and there's uh, there's certainly a lot of talk on those uh, from the people in Utica as well. They've got their opinions on the team and and that sort of a thing. But they're really really well supported down there. Uh, when you talk to the players uh, in Utica. They they love uh, they love playing there. They love the crowds. They love the the way the fans back them. So on that side of things, if we take geography out of the equation, um, you know Utica's as good a place as any for that team. It's uh, it's a fantastic crowd there and a great fan base. Right, and that's you know not even getting into what if the team was in Abbotsford, like how much travel they would actually have to do is ridiculous compared to what they are in Utica. But uh, maybe that's another week we can get into it. Corey, I, I just wanted to finish up uh, saying that you know we kind of announced the last live show somewhere in this episode here we are going to do it on a sunday so we're really hoping we can get you over here for a live ride in the bus segment well if it's on a sunday uh i'll be there because the comets never play on sundays so uh that's usually the only thing that's going to keep me from uh that would be the only thing that would keep me from there unless i'm you know not uh not feeling so well (laughs) which sometimes can happen for me but uh Certainly, if uh, if my health is good, I will be there for sure. I'm, uh, I'm definitely down for that. Good stuff. Well, we're excited to get you in there. I think it would be a lot of fun to do a Ride in the Bus segment. Just, uh, just to put your intro kind of blasting through the speakers would be enough fun, I think. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I know uh, some people don't necessarily dig that uh, Greta Van Fleet uh, stuff that from that there my intro there but uh, I dig that tune. <laughs> I think people just hate it when they get scared when the horn hits at the start. <laughs> yeah, that could be it too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Corey, thanks for doing this and we'll wrap it up again next week. Uh, so thanks for another Ride in the Bus segment. Thanks guys, have a good one. And thank you to Corey for joining us there for another Ride in the Bus segment. I know I mentioned it. Uh, it would be kind of funny to blast that intro out uh, in front of a bunch of live crowd because it is loud. And maybe don't tell them about it either. Yeah, don't <laughs> tell them about it. Uh, something that we've been told about a lot over the past week, which I find kind of ridiculous that it's going on, uh, is Nikita Triampkin uh, being talked about. Obviously, his agent, Todd Diamond, was just on, I believe it was rink-wide uh, with Rick Dollywall and Andrew Wadden this past weekend. And 
you know, there was talk that Nikita Triankin wants to come back to the NHL. Um, is he a guy that can come to the Vancouver Canucks and bring anything, though, Quads? Not a chance. Not I a really chance. don't think so. I think that there's way better defensemen on the depth chart ahead of him right now. And I would say that, you know, he's... The reason he left, a big reason of it, was he wasn't getting the ice time he wanted under Willie Desjardins. You think Travis Green's going to hand him ice time? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, I don't know if he knows who the Canucks coach is. Maybe he should ask Goldie about it before he comes back. Damn. But there is no way that Triampkin is going to get any sort of playing time that he wants. Mm-hmm. He's not going to like it when he comes back. And I think a lot of Canucks fans are setting, them, setting themselves up for disappointment when they talk about him coming back and being this guy who, yeah, perfect, he'll just play, you know, he'll play second, third pairing, no problem. So there's no free Triampkin movement that you're going to no, be starting not a chance, man. I, I don't think he's an NHL defenseman, and I would rather see a guy like Brogan Rafferty get a shot ahead of him. You know, yep. Even Ashton Sautner, I know he's on the left side, but even like Ashton Sautner, Guillaume Brisebois, right. they're ahead of him on the depth chart when it comes to defense. So and Triumphant could play both sides. Like, that's right, true. We know that he can play left, he can play right, but like you mentioned... So can okay. Jordy Ben. Yeah, Jordy Ben's, and Jordy Ben's ahead of him on the depth chart for sure, but that's what Todd Diamond was talking about, who's Triumphant's agent. He said, like, you know, Nikita wants to come back. He sees what this core is like. He sees what this team is doing now, and he wants to come back. But he doesn't want to go play in the AHL. He wants to come here. He believes he can start in the top six for the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, Jordy Ben, like you mentioned, he's not playing in the top six for the Vancouver Canucks. I would rather have Jordy Ben than Triampkin, but we also haven't seen Triampkin at the NHL level in a couple years, and he was exciting when we had him here, right? Like, he's a big body. If he's a guy playing in your bottom six... And he's paired up with Tyler Myers. I mean, like, that's that's something to get excited about for Canucks fans. But like you mentioned, is I mean, he's putting up half-decent numbers in the KHL. He's got a couple goals. He's putting up points. I've watched him play a handful of times. Um, I I think that he's, you know, moving the puck all right. He's also on the big ice, so it's kind of hard to, to see how he's actually moving yeah. with the puck and moving around the ice because, you know, the ice is a lot bigger there. So maybe him coming over to North America makes his game even better because he's got so much size. He's got that long stick. He's going to take out more of the ice. I, I think that there's – it's interesting. I mean, like, next year, if we lose Chris Tanev or Troy Stetcher, that opens up another spot. Brogan Rafferty's a guy that we want to see. Does Brogan Rafferty get more hype now than Nikita Triamkin, though? I think so. But I want to go back to something you just said. So, Triamkin, when he was here, yeah, he was exciting. But what was going on at the time for the Canucks? Who was exciting on the Canucks right. at the time Nikita Triamkin was here? Troy Stetcher? Was that our big... Everybody was really excited about rookie Troy Stetcher yeah. that year. Like, Nikita Triamkin was good on an awful defense core. An awful defense core. 2016-17 was the year. Exactly. And we just got rid of Erica Branson, finally, right? We don't want... Like, you can't get fooled. No, I'm not saying you specifically. I'm yeah, saying, like, everyone. fans. Can't get fooled by um, a tall defenseman and just be like, well, he's going to be great. Like... I really don't think Nikita Triamkin's an NHL defenseman. I don't think I think fans are going to set themselves up for disappointment. Yeah, I think that the thing about being that size and you know being able to just be that size, have a stick that long is like you you, you don't like back in the day you didn't really have to be a great skater, but now you kind of have to be no matter how big you are and where you're playing in a lineup, you have to be a good skater. And that's the thing that maybe I should start watching Triamkin a little bit more is just to see that, but 
I think that a lot of people forget, and I forget this, like he played in 66 games one season for the Vancouver Canucks. It really doesn't feel like that because, like you mentioned, that season was uh, another throwaway for the Vancouver mm-hmm. Canucks. It's the reason that they actually drafted Elias Pettersson, I believe, that year. Yes. So, I mean, there's there's reason to believe that, obviously, Nikita Triamkin could bring something to your team. But, like, you know, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I'm not really uh, paddling as hard as you are <laughs> against Triamkin. Like, I, I'm leaving the door open. But he's he's got to prove himself to play. He doesn't just get to jump into this lineup. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, if there's injuries, if there's a reason, you know, maybe Jordy Ben's a guy that's traded at the deadline. That's something that people yeah. have mentioned. But then again, like, you don't know what you're getting from Triamkin. I don't think Triamkin's coming here for $900,000 either. I think he's looking for millions when he comes over here. You know, whether that's one and a half to somewhere in two or two and a half. I think he's looking for a contract that's half decent when he gets here. I think Todd Diamond's a very smart agent. And I think that maybe those rights are moved to somewhere else. And maybe he's playing for a Detroit Red Wings next season. And that's a better fit for him. And that's what I'm saying is the Canucks, you know, I don't want to slam the door shut on Nikita Triamkin, probably because he'd walk through it. He's so big, like he'd <laughs> knock it down. But I don't want to knock the door down on him or anything. Like I think he's a good option to come back if he's in a two-way contract. You know, he's like a depth option. How much fun is 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 Utica next year for Corey if Hoglander's yeah, there, Triamkin's shit. there, like Pod Colson gets there Fuck, at the end of the imagine? year. And, like, we see Tyler Madden. Like, there's a lot of players, Carson Folked and Jet Wu. Like, man, the comments could be so much fun next year. Well, there's nothing wrong with having Nikita Triamkin in the minors proving himself. Right, for everybody else except for Nikita Exactly. He doesn't want to do that, which, you know, like, he did jump ship the first time when he wasn't getting enough minutes at the NHL level. Like, I just think, I, I, I honestly, like, I really don't think that he's an NHL defenseman. And I think... Like how much? But I know that like another big reason why he left was because of his personal life. Yep. Right. Like he was just recently married, I believe, at the time, yep. and he wanted to go back to Russia for that reason. Does that like that's got to affect the way someone's playing, and that's also got to affect your judgment on what you're saying to media and what you're kind of doing and making big life decisions. So if he's figured that all out now, is is there a chance? He, and the like the other thing that's crazy about it is okay, Pod Colson's contract isn't up until the end of next year's KHL season. But Triamkin, I believe, and you could tell me I'm wrong here if I am, but his is his contract's up this year. Yes, like it is. there's a chance that he could come back at the end of this season. It's gonna be very crazy to see like where this Canucks team is when that KHL contract's up because there there are a lot of situations that could be, you know, he could be the option to come be our sixth defenseman. We haven't seen a lot of injuries to the defense court. Injuries happen every single season to every single NHL team. You know, like there's there are doors and avenues that could open up for Triampkin to be on this team. But like you mentioned, if if they're sitting like this right now and this is the defense core that they have when his contract's up, there's there's just no room for him on the NHL yeah, team. Yeah. And there's no room in Triampkin's brain to think about being an AHL player for some reason. Yeah, exactly. Which is the worst which is just the worst attitude you can have exactly, for this situation. Exactly. He's and, screwing himself out of not getting an opportunity in the NHL yeah. with the Vancouver Canucks because he won't go to the A. Yeah, so I'm I'm tired of talking about it. <laughs> like I gotta <laughs> say, like we've been talking about it for what, like five minutes now. Yeah. Um. I know you didn't even want to talk about. Yeah, this I at didn't all. <laughs> even want to talk about it. Like it's it's not worth us talking about. Like, yeah. Why are we talking about Ashton Sautner? He's better than Triamkin. <laughs> like, what the hell, man? It's another hot take from Quads. Okay, yeah. we'll, uh, we'll move on. <laughs> we'll wrap it up. Um, I got exciting news. Um, obviously today when I mentioned it a couple times on a podcast. Now the fact that Parallel uh, wants to support us moving forward, they like the work that we're doing with our Canucks First Challenge. 
Um, and yeah, there, you know, there's going to be some sort of prize pack involved for the end of the year. Uh, I know that some people, you know, are sitting, at, I think Dylan Eklund right now sitting at eight correct answers so far, which is incredible. A couple people behind him with six, uh, and five, like the leaderboard is definitely going to change as the season goes on, but shout out to everyone that competes in that, uh, because of you guys actually answering this Canucks first and, you know, giving me like 150, sometimes almost 200 people replying to this tweet. That's the reason that parallel is supporting the show because we are getting engagement. So I just want to say thank you to everyone that's getting involved with the Canucks first or anything that I put out with parallel. Uh, thanks to everyone that gets involved because without that, there, there's no way that Parallel would want to keep sponsoring this show. It's it's a podcast run by two guys that's not on a major network or involved with a major network. So the fact that you guys have helped get the sponsor, I just want to say thank you to everyone. Um, I know that uh, I'll be on Rinkwide uh, Saturday with uh, Rick Dollywall and Andrew Wad, and very excited for that. Um, and Har- and sorry, and Harm will be there as well. But uh, Quaza, I just want to close out the episode with you mentioning VAI A. Because I think it's pretty cool what they're doing there and the fact that you're going to be able to work with WAGs now. Uh, I might not see as many articles on Canucks Army from you anymore. Or are you just going to double up and go crazy? I'm actually planning on just going nuts. Like, I've got something good <laughs> right, right now in the works at Canucks Army and VIA. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to try and do more post games and stuff for Canucks Army as well. I've only done one. but Yeah, uh, well, yeah I was going to say, I never see you doing post yeah. games on there. Hopefully I can hop into it soon, but yeah. yeah. Well, I enjoy a little bit of post games here as well, but uh, yeah, I haven't done one in a while myself either. Everyone else is picking up the slack at Canucks Army right now. It's yeah, nice. what the hell? Yeah, <laughs> it does never happen before. Uh, so yeah, uh, we'll basically wrap it up there. Um, so thank you for listening to episode sixty-three. Another big shout out to people at Parallel Forty Nine Brewing Company. Some great folks over there, and some great beers as well. Trash Panda. I'm getting into that right after the show. Uh, for David Quadrelli, my name is Chris Faber. Thanks for tuning into episode sixty-three of the Canucks Conversation.